I think I'll just sit down. That, that was our sermon. <laughs> oh, and it's run for the roses as fast as you can. Your fate is delivered, your moment's at hand. I don't know how many of you here were crazy about horses when you were a child. I know one of us isn't here this morning. I should have told her she should come for this service. Uh, but I was, I was a city girl in Chicago, and uh, there wasn't really much opportunity for, for me to, to uh, ride horses, but, but horse riding does run in my family. Uh, in fact, I had a cousin who became a rodeo rider. Well, as I, I, I'm all... Does anyone not know that yesterday California Chrome didn't win the Triple Crown? Yeah, yeah what? Does anyone know who? <laughs> Yesterday, a horse named California Chrome ran as fast as he could. Twice before this working person's horse, his best had been fast enough. But yesterday, faced with a horse that had skipped both the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness, a horse that had had an extra week's race, Chrome's best wasn't good enough. And I think there were people who cried about that. Like every horse who has tried in the last 36 years, California Chrome fell short. These are longer races than most horses have run in, especially the, the, of the, all three races of the Triple Crown, especially the Belmont, which is one and a half miles. The greatest horse to win the Triple Crown, I think, I think most people would agree with me, was Secretariat in 1973, 41 years ago. That's not the last time. Affirmed won it in 1976. Um, but I want to talk to you a little bit about Secretariat. That's 78? Well, anyway, all right. <laughs> um, this morning I want to share a little bit of Secretariat's story. Secretariat was a beautiful red colt. He had impressive lineage, unlike California, California Chrome, and a nearly 25-foot stride. Now, um, Jenna, would you, you stand up just for a moment? And tomorrow, would you come stand up here at the front of the steps? Can you can make us run. <laughs> <laughs> Do it. <laughs> That's about the length of his stride. We, we paced it off this morning. They, I mean, I can hardly imagine that. That is amazing. So thank you, thank you. Let's give him a hand. <laughs> he was named Horse of the Year in his second year. In his third year, he won nearly all of his, we, he won all of his early races except one when he developed an abscess in his, his mouth. Dreams of the coveted tripled crown began to seem more real. It had been a long time since someone had won the triple crown when Secretariat ran up again. I think about 25 years, is that right? The first of the three races is the Kentucky Derby. On Derby Day, Secretariat was slow out of the starting gate. He was last as the horses ran around the stretch for the for the first time. This race was long enough, however, for Secretariat to stretch out. Unlike most horses that slow down as the race goes on, Secretariat got faster. He ran each quarter mile faster than the one before. His nearest rival, who was also a great horse, 
who would probably have won the Triple Crown any other year. His rival won, broke the track record, broke the track record and finished second. Secretariat set a new track record and won by two lengths. At the Preakness two weeks later in Baltimore, Secretariat was last out of the gate again. Now, any mathematician or horse race follower knows that you want to run as close to the inside of the, of the, ra- of the uh, circle as the track as possible, because that's the shortest distance. But Secretariat took off on his own to the outside, going around all the other houses, horses, passing them all. Instead of losing steam, once again, Secretariat led the pack for the rest of the race, beating poor second place, great horse, Sham, by almost three lengths, and unofficially setting another track record, which was eventually corrected just two years ago. Uh, there'd been a malfunction of the, uh, of the timer that day. The Belmont Stakes, the one that just ran last night, is 12 furlongs. Now, I had to look this up. A furlong equals 220 yards. And understand that, that you put those 12 furlongs together and it equals a mile and a half. Is that right? Looking at our horse, horse manager over there. Substantially longer than the Derby or the Preakness. Horses who conquer the first two races sometimes simply can't keep up their speed for the additional length of time. And it's at five races that long, excuse me, three races that long in such a short period of time doesn't give you a lot of chance to bounce back. Secretariat did this time leave the starting gate right away. He battled for the lead for the first five furlongs. Then he began to pull away. Most horses, as I've said, once they're comfortably in front with no competition in sight, relax and slow down. We got this made, but not Secretariat. Not on this day, anyway. As his owner, Penny Chenery, would later say, this was the day that Secretariat felt like running. He flew around the far turn at Belmont Park, the distance between him and the rest of the field increasing quickly and by incredible margins. It was 10 lengths, then 12, then 14, then 20. Secretariat passed the finish line, 31 lengths in front of the rest of the horses, about the length of a football field. Just those of you who watch football, just imagine that much difference. No horse has ever won the Belmont and very rarely any other race by a greater margin. Secretariat smashed the record for the course by two full seconds. More than 5,300 racing fans kept their winning tickets as keepsakes rather than cashing them in, although I also read that actually because he was so, he was so favored, they only would have won 20 cents and $2, so that was another reason it wasn't really necessary. But I'll bet those tickets are worth something today. It was reported in the Baltimore Sun that golfer Jack Nicholas, who was watching the race, fell to his knees before the television, cried and pounded his fist against the floor. Afterwards, he couldn't understand what had happened, why he'd done that. Why me? I'm not a racing fan, he said to the NBC commentator. 
Jack, he said, your whole life is a quest for perfection. And you saw it in Belmont. And it moved you. Nicholas, Nicholas nodded. Secretariat is the only Triple Crown winner to set a time record in all three races. All of his records still stand. His Belmont Stakes is widely considered to be the greatest performance by a thoroughbred racehorse ever. And you and I were talking about that before the, the service, and you said whenever you see it, you just you get goose pimples. I mean, it just... It's, it's amazing. He died in 1989 at age 19. The necropsy revealed a 21-pound heart, twice the normal size. I just love that image. Love that image. Wilma Rudolph also had a big heart. I don't know if it was... If I, I'm speaking metaphorically. It may have been a big heart as well. She practiced and practiced, pushing herself beyond the wildest dreams of her doctors who expected her paralysis to be permanent. Then when she went on to the Olympics, she ignored pain and injury. I can't imagine running on a swollen ankle. I, 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 running better than she'd ever run before, recovering from a fumble to win not one, but three gold medals. Secretariat's story touches me. But it was the Jack Nicklaus story that inspired me to teach, to preach, maybe teach too, I don't know, about secretariat, about that quest for perfection. I think we have become wary of the quest for perfection. Too often it has meant not only self-sacrifice, but self-destruction. Too often it has left in its wake driven people, filled with guilt, heartbroken at their failures, unable to enjoy their successes, which are never good enough. For the shadow side of the quest for perfection includes both an obsessive pursuit of the impossible and self-righteous judgment of those we deem less wise, less self-denying, less compassionate than we ourselves. But I think that is to misunderstand perfection. The Buddha tried asceticism in his search for enlightenment, at one time limiting himself to six grains of rice a day. He said that he, when he touched his stomach, he could feel his backbone. But he discovered that that kind of pseudo, I would, what I would call pseudo-perfectionism was not the road to enlightenment. And he discarded such extreme measures for what he called a middle way. There is something breathtaking about perfection when it works. Jack Nicklaus recognized it. I don't know about you, but every time I read about Secretariat, I tear up. Where would we be without these people who sacrificed nearly everything in pursuit of their passion, their dreams? Gymnast Gabby Douglas, I'm sure some of you saw her at the Olympics. She must have worked, well, I don't know if she ever had a butt, but she must have worked her butt off to, to get where she did. I mean, you don't get to be an Olympics champion without much sacrifice and much drive. Quarterback Peyton Manning, 
who has come back in amazing ways this year, um, or more significantly, Galileo and Martin Luther, who gave up so much, who risked so much in their pursuit of science and religious truth. So my sermon is about what it means religiously to seek perfection. And I would say it's not the Buddhist, you know, his first attempt to try to just starve himself into, uh, as to, into nirvana. What does it mean to us as Unitarian Universalists, we who acknowledge the presence of ambiguity and uncertainty in religion, how, how could we be perfect in our religious pursuit? To perfectly embody what it means to be honest, humble, compassionate, just, courageous, generous. Love is the spirit of this church. What does it mean to be perfectly loving? Or at least to dedicate our lives to moving ever closer to our ideals. It is a quest. I see many universalists, you turn universalists embrace, even if they may not use the word perfection. We try to do the best that we can to make a difference. We often sacrifice financial success, concerned about glut and too much stuff. We ride our bikes to church. Some of us give up food we once enjoyed because it contradicts our principles We take risks by speaking out on unpopular issues. We give our time and energy to read to children or attend city council meetings. Where is Anne this morning? (laughs) Probably at a city council meeting. (laughs) Or to to wash hand towels so that we don't further disgrade our environment. We do not require you to be vegetarians to join our church. We don't require you to witness for LGBT rights. We don't require you to offer up your lives for your country. We don't require uniformity of beliefs. We don't require identical stands on justice issues, and that may be one of the things that we struggle with the most, because if we're passionate about something, it's hard to accept that others don't come out at the same place we are. But but that is part of being... Unitarian Universalist. Our faith asks three things of us. And those of you who are recognizing as members this morning, if we didn't cover this in new membership class, I'm covering it now. It's not too late. (laughs) You can change your minds. (laughs) First, to seriously seek the answers to the great religious questions, but especially to the religious question that asks, how shall we live? How shall we live? Second, to strive to incarnate those beliefs. And third, to reach those who, to respect those who reach answers that are different from our own, who make different choices than our own. And those two who make the same, who have the same beliefs 
but sometimes fail in following them the way we wish they would, the way they wish they would. Our great commandments are to respect and protect this great web of existence that embraces and supports us, to seek justice and compassion for all, and to walk humbly with our own understanding of the ultimate. Our faith asks us to embark on a lifetime of study, prayer, and reflection. Our faith asks us to follow where study, prayer, and reflection lead us. Some of us will have a life-changing revelation that makes all the difference. Sometimes that happens in a moment. Sometimes it is the result of much study and reflection. For the rest of us, I suggest starting small. Let us set aside 10 minutes every morning this week. 10 minutes. 5 minutes to think about how we might create more kindness today. How we might do some justice. How we might be the person we long to be. Let us do a moral inventory of ourselves. What would we like to change? Let us take five minutes or ten or a half hour or more to pray or reflect about it. Meditate. Write a to-do list of acts of kindness, random acts of kindness. Our neighbors, people at church, people at work. Perhaps something will instead call us to start with something outside of our immediate extended family and friends, to start with prejudice or the plight of immigrants or poverty. But start. Let us start somewhere. The race has already begun. We need to be ready. The race of life is a marathon, not a sprint. It's more like Belmont. We are dropped down into the middle of it. We have to prepare, even as we're running, to use a car racing analogy, we need spiritual pit stops so we can stay in top condition. The call of our faith is to strive toward perfection, perfect love, perfect compassion, perfect understanding, onward and upward forever. We will not reach perfection but we can advance toward it. Changing the world isn't easy. Changing ourselves isn't easy. It is the work of a lifetime. But it is work that can give our lives meaning. It is work that can change the world. The race has already begun. The red roses are waiting for us. The winners. I have the names right here. Right here, right here. They are yours. They are mine. Are you ready? <laughs>